black ball. Black 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 ball. Black 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 What is up, everybody? My name is James DeFiori, and this is Blackballed. This is a bonus Blackballed episode today. I was just, you know, messing around on my news feed on Twitter, and uh, I followed this guy not too long ago, actually, named Matt Letizia. He is a former professional footballer. I, I promised myself I would never use the word soccer during this episode because I know how the footballers feel about that word. Um... Who was, who was a really good player when he played. He played for Southampton Football Club. But in the last two years, he has become a critic of the way the UK, and really by extension, almost every Western nation, has reacted to the COVID pandemic. And also how the big pharmaceutical companies may have misled us regarding the efficacy of the vaccine and how the vaccine uh, is supposed to protect us. And I know it's really controversial. Um, we're called blackballed for a reason. We like to have guests on that have opinions that differ from sort of the status quo. Um, I'm vaccinated. I've always had sort of questions about where this uh, pandemic reaction came from. And all of the answers that I have been given sort of center around the World Health Organization and, and how uh, their decisions were just sort of accepted by the health services in Western countries. I am approaching this podcast with a, a, a sort of overriding philosophy of, of I don't really know the answers to a lot of these questions, but I have heard this man speak and I have heard him, um, I've, I've seen him get vilified, um, but he doesn't strike me as the North American typical anti-vaxxer in how he speaks about grand government conspiracies and uh, George Soros and Bill Gates and all that kind of stuff, but maybe I haven't done a deep enough dive. But I, but be that as it may, I would like to welcome to the show Matt Letizia. Matt, how are you, buddy? I'm good, thanks. James, how are you? I'm doing well. So it's really interesting to see a guy like you. First of all, um, you were a very accomplished football player. Thank you. And and you know it's interesting to see. Uh, people who, um, you know, once excelled in whatever industry or whatever sport or whatever they were in um, sort of slide into the political arena. Before we get into all the nitty gritty, can you tell me, um, have you always sort of been political or was the pandemic just something that made you feel like you had to speak up? Uh, yeah, I've, I've never been political um, in any way, shape or form. Uh, and I still consider myself uh, apolitical. Um uh, I, I don't think I've ever voted in a general election over here in the UK. Um, and I was quite happily going along <clears throat> uh, quite comfortably in my life, having a career as a, as a professional footballer. Um, and, uh, and then from there, going into the media side of things and, and you know, having a 15-year career in the media. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. Uh, and all of a sudden, I found my, my freedoms being curtailed, uh, and I wanted to know why. And I, I went looking uh, to see what was going on, because this was um, something that I'd never seen before in my lifetime. Uh, and I decided to investigate a little bit further um, as to why we were going down the route that we were going down. Uh, and I didn't like what I came across. Um, and I came across a, a lot of stuff that was um, uh, predicting what was going to be going on in the next couple of years. And I thought, well, that's a bit strange. It's a little bit odd. Um, you know, why would they be predicting that kind of stuff happening? I, I don't see, I don't see that happening. And then as the as the weeks were going on, uh, I was kind of looking at things and thinking, hang on, blimey, those people that I kind of came across a, a couple of months back, all the stuff that they were saying. It looks like it's it's going down that road, um, and I became quite concerned that 
blimey, if they've, if they've got it right so far, all the other stuff that they're talking about, we're heading in a pretty scary direction uh, in terms of, you know, uh, vaccine passports and uh, all that kind of stuff, mandatory vaccinations. Uh, and I didn't like what I was seeing, so I felt like I had to, I had to speak out. Um, you know, I had a, I had a platform. Um, you know, I was working on the mainstream media at the time, um, and um, I decided that I, I felt like I had to speak out. And if that was going to cost me my job, then so be it. Um, uh, I was prepared for that uh, outcome, uh, and that's exactly uh, exactly what happened. Um, I spoke out. Firstly, uh, against the Black Lives Matter movement, um, uh, when we were pretty much forced to wear uh, a badge on television, and I was pretty uncomfortable with that. Uh, it was sprung upon me about a minute before we would go live on air on the show that we were doing. Um, I wasn't comfortable afternoon. Uh, after that show, I went to the producer and I said, look, that's the last time I'll ever uh, wear that badge. I've, I've been uncomfortable wearing it all afternoon. Um, I don't think we should have been forced to have, have worn it. Uh, and so uh, I won't be wearing it again. Uh, if you want me next week to wear any other badge that, you know, uh, the say no to racism thing was one that we would we would wear uh, on certain weekends of the season. So I said, I'm happy to wear that. If you want me to wear that every week, quite happy to wear that. Uh, I don't consider myself to be a racist, um, but I know what the Black Lives Matter organisation were about. Uh, and I wasn't comfortable wearing it. And uh, I don't think that was... Um, a particularly good thing for me to do in terms of my career, but uh, morally, I felt like it was the right thing to do, uh, and so uh, I spoke up about it. Um, I challenged it, uh, I, and then uh, a couple of months later, uh, I no longer had a job at that television station. Um, now, you can judge for yourself whether those two things were uh, were linked. Um, so I just want to interject here for a second because I didn't realize that um, that you were forced to wear a Black Lives Matter patch or whatever on on air. Uh, yeah, we were we were just about to go on air, um, and uh, the producer came into our show uh, to all of us and with these badges and said, um, uh, "We'd like you to put these on." Uh, and I looked at him and I questioned it there and then. And I said, "Do we have to wear them?" Uh, and he just looked at me and he said, it's probably in your best interest if you do. Uh, and and like we were just about to go on air, literally seconds before going on air. So I didn't have time to process that all. Uh, and I thought, right, I'll just put it on. And um, uh, and that's why uh, I wore it just the once. I wasn't comfortable and, and said afterwards I wasn't going to I wasn't going to wear that. So and I was challenging the mainstream media views uh, as well on uh, on the lockdowns and uh, the way that um, a lot of the stuff was being reported, uh, the, the data that was going, uh, that was we were being fed. Uh, I'd had friends in the NHS who were who were actually telling me that what we were being told on the television wasn't actually true, and uh, and I questioned that kind of stuff. And I ended up, yeah, I ended up losing my job in uh, at the end of August uh, in 2020, uh, a job that I'd had for 15 years. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was sad. I enjoyed my job. Um, you know, they, the the company had been taken over by Comcast. Uh, and to be honest, now with hindsight, it's probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Uh, I don't particularly like the uh, direction that the that the company has gone in um, since it's been bought by Comcast. And so I feel like I'm uh, a lot better out of it, quite frankly. Um, okay, so let's get into it a little bit. So the um, there's a politician. He's from Holland, I believe, and part of the European Parliament. Is it Rob Roos? Is that how you say his name? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So he puts out a video the other day. Now there was a news item that came out regarding Pfizer's CEO and some of the contradictory statements that he made. And I think the European Parliament uh, was discussing whether or not to sue Pfizer for selling vaccines that weren't actually working something like that but i want to play the video because the video is sort of really what kind of sparked the latest thing about vaccines so we're just going to look at that and then we'll come back if you don't get vaccinated you're antisocial. this is what the dutch prime minister and health minister told us you don't get vaccinated just for yourself but also for others you do it for all of society that's what i said today this turned out to be complete nonsense 
In a COVID hearing in the European Parliament, one of the Pfizer directors just admitted to me, at the time of introduction, the vaccine had never been tested on stopping the transmission of the virus. This removes the entire legal basis for the COVID passport. The COVID passport that led to massive institutional discrimination as people lost access to essential parts of society. I find this to be shocking, even criminal. Please watch the video until the end. Voor u, mevrouw Smol, heb ik de volgende vraag waar ik een duidelijk antwoord op wil. And I will speak in English so there are no misunderstandings. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it's entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. This is scandalous. Millions of people worldwide felt forced to get vaccinated because of the myth that you do it for others. Now this turned out to be a cheap lie. This should be exposed. Please share this video. Okay, so when I look at that, I, I started to think to myself, I, I tried to remember looking back at, at all the statements that have come out and there's been thousands of statements from Pfizer, the World Health Organization, and then all the Western nations uh, health services or universal health care services. So I went to look at what the press was saying about this video and about um, what was said at the time. And I just wanted to see what they were saying. So the claim is that Pfizer admitted to the European Parliament that it had not tested its COVID vaccine to prevent transmission of the virus before it entered the market, proving the company lied about this earlier in the pandemic. The AP's assessment. Missing context. Janine Small, the president of the international markets at Pfizer, told the European Parliament on Monday that Pfizer did not know whether the COVID-19 vaccine prevented transmission of the virus before it entered the market in December 2020. But Pfizer never claimed to have studied the issue before the vaccine's market release. The facts. After Small testified before the European Parliament Special Committee on the COVID-19 pandemic, misleading claims about whether Pfizer knew the impact of its COVID-19 vaccine on preventing transmission spread widely on social media. Rob Bruce, who a Dutch European Parliament member who asked a small question about transmission at the hearing, tweeted, breaking, in COVID, in COVID hearing, Pfizer director admits vaccine was never tested on preventing transmission. Get vaccinated for others was always a lie. The only purpose of the COVID passport, forcing people to get vaccinated. The world needs to know. Share this video. The tweet, which included the video showing the exchange between Ruse and Small, had received more than 232,000 likes and more than 166,000 shares by Thursday. Other social media posts about the hearing used the hashtag Pfizer lied people died. At the hearing, Ruse asked Small whether Pfizer has tested, had tested its COVID-19 vaccine for the ability to prevent transmission of the virus prior to its market release. Small answered no. We had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what was taking place in the market. She went on to explain why Pfizer moved quickly to develop a COVID-19 vaccine as the virus spread worldwide. While Roos and many others framed this as a new revelation, Pfizer never claimed that its clinical trial, upon which the vaccine was authorized for use, evaluated the shot's effect on transmission. In fact, shortly before the vaccine's release, the company CEO emphasized that this was still being evaluated. What do you say to that? Because, I mean... I, I, I am trying to navigate these waters as, as fairly as I can. And the one, the one thing that I always run up against is the idea that the media, the government, and the World Health Organization and the pharmaceutical giants all have to be singing from the same playbook. And sometimes I find that hard to believe. So I'm wow. wondering what your thoughts on what, what the AP just said in response to that video. Uh, the AP. Who, uh, who owns the AP? Oh, they're the Associated Press. They're, they're considered, yeah. Who owns them? I don't know. I could look it up. But it's not like MSNBC or Fox or Sky or something like that. It's not a government-run uh, thing. Like It's it's really, you know, I, I can, I'll look it up now if you want. But what, what would you be your response to that, regardless who owns it? Um, I, I don't think we can disregard who owns it. 
and I, and I don't um, I don't think that uh, just going oh it doesn't matter it's AP we got to believe everything they say. The AP is a nonprofit cooperative owned by the newspapers, radio, and television stations who share its news stories. Most articles are written by staff members belonging to the Newspaper Guild Union, a part of the AFL-CIO. So, yeah, it's not a big conglomerate, in other words. What, so what, what does that mean? Does that mean that they tell the truth all the time? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you just for your opinion on what they said. Well, uh, I think they're very much trying to uh, defend uh, a cat that got out of the bag when a direct question was answered to a Pfizer employee. Uh, and they're employed, uh, and they're a lot of these uh, news organisations are funded by a lot of the pharmaceutical companies, um, and, and I think they will they will be there to defend them to the death. Uh, and I think the important thing for people to understand in all of this is not actually what these people say. Uh, I think the important thing to understand, and you can only do this for yourself. Uh, I think it's important for people to take it upon themselves if they want to know the truth. They've got to look behind where funding of these organizations comes from um and uh, i don't uh, I, i'm not sure why you think that the government and the pharmaceutical companies and the media can't all sing from the same hymn sheet um that's a I'm lot of talking. people um all in on the same conspiracy isn't it why is it a, why and why do you use the word conspiracy well um, really it would have to be a conspiracy an argument as a no, really no, i'm not calling you a conspiracy theorist I, I'm saying that plant that word in people's minds to start to no, but you no, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. This is well, what I'm well, saying. Why use the word conspiracy? I wasn't directing it at you. No, no, I wasn't suggesting you were. But by bringing that word into the conversation, you bring that word into people's conscience. Okay, well, I, I, would, I, don't, I'm not, I don't need to die on the conspiracy hill. I'll retract the word. I don't care. So, so all of these, I really, it's, it's, I don't have a hidden agenda. I, just, I would just, I would just like a, a, a nice normal conversation without conspiracy theories being thrown into it. Because okay, uh, okay, I, 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 I don't mean it like that. I, I, I meant, I meant they're all aligned on something, right? Yeah, that a lot of people don't think is true. And in order for that alignment to remain cemented, they would all have to be seen from the same playbook in a way where there won't be a whistleblower embedded inside any one of those organizations who would say, hold on a second, these people don't actually have any evidence to be aligned like this. Is that better? Okay, so so answer me this, James. If there was a whistleblower, where would he go to? Fox News. But then we have to find out who owns Fox News. And then we have to do. Then we would have to say that we can't trust Fox News. Like th this is what I mean. Like I so that means that no. That means that no media can be trusted on COVID. Then, right? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Is there anyone that can? Mm, I would be skeptical of uh, of anybody. What I would say to people is, um, do your own research. Look for both sides of the story, and then once you've evaluated both sides of the story, your gut will tell you, and real life experience in the world around you will tell you who's telling the truth or not. That's my okay. opinion. What has your research shown you? My research has shown me it, it, that the response to the pandemic um, was uh, a massive overreaction. That's, that, that's it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's it. Have, you noticed, have you noticed what's going on in the world at the moment? It depends where you are. Have you, you, know? have you looked? Have you looked at the cost of living crisis? I have. I just have went. I, 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 here, I'll give you an example. Even I, I live in the sticks. I live in the in a rural area of Canada, and I just came to Toronto to visit not too long ago. I haven't been here in about three years. I was here once, but I never really did anything. I went out to try to find a meal at a restaurant, just like a, a good Thai takeout or something, and all prices have doubled. You know, so I the what, cost of living has skyrocketed. Do you think the do you think the war in Ukraine caused that, or do you think no? I think the, I think the reaction to the pandemic, world. the reaction to the pandemic caused that. Absolutely. Yeah. So listen, I'm not here. I, I, let's start, let's shake the etch a sketch and start over a little bit because I think that whole conspiracy word sort of sent us off on a wrong a wrong path. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you on, on. I'll tell you what I agree with you on because I, I think that we agree on these things. I happen to know that the World Health Organization had a template before this pandemic. And it didn't yep. matter what the illness was going to be. They were going to stuff that Ill illness inside that template. And, and that template included things like isolation. That template included things like 
um, wearing masks. That template included, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, social distancing and all that kind of stuff. So if it was malaria, if it was Ebola, if it was COVID, if it was uh, bird flu, they would have done the same thing. And I found that to be crazy when, when I found out that that existed. I Because I didn't understand before, before they even knew how something was going to be transmitted, they had already had this plan in place and it felt like they were kind of hoping for the best. Would you agree with all that? Uh, no. Uh, I agree with most of that, but the last sentence where you said, I felt like they were hoping for the best, uh, I, I think is uh, completely wrong. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. So they were hoping for the worst. They knew exactly what they were doing with what they were trying to achieve. And what was that? Um, the I think, personally, uh, I think they were trying to achieve the uh, deliberate destruction of the middle class and the deliberate destruction of small and medium-sized businesses. To what end? Uh, to what end? Um, have you have you done any research on the Great Reset whatsoever? Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm asking you the questions not to be combative. I, I just want to know what your thoughts are. That's all. Okay, my, my thoughts are is to implement the Great Reset. Okay, so this is the Great Reset. This is the Charles Schwab thing, right? The the, the idea of Charles Schwab. Klaus, I'm sorry, Charles Schwab is someone else. I forget who he is. Um, anyways, uh, so. So the Great Reset is basically they want to turn uh, the. By the way, this is an old um, idea. When 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 nine eleven happened, this idea came up. When the financial crisis happened, the same idea came up, and it's always the people that react to the crisis crises that 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 take this same idea that's been that's been around for decades. And they decide, well, this is going to be the crisis that will usher in the new world order. And then when it doesn't happen, the next crisis happens. They're like, well, this will definitely be the one that ushers in the new world order. Well, aren't we singing the same song again? Uh, I'm not sure um, uh, why. Uh, are you suggesting that that's what I did when these other things happened? Or I'm because... suggesting that maybe you're susceptible to believe are you, something are you, lumping, that... are you lumping me in with other people? I don't know. Well, it's hard to get a read on you because when I ask you questions, I feel like you're impugning motive on my part when really I'm just trying to get what your thoughts are. My, my audience well, is interested. I gave, my, I gave you my thoughts. Right. So, so, so but then you asked me if I did research. Pretend, I mean, it's not relevant if I did the research. I'm asking you questions based on what you think. And if you believe that the Great Reset is something that is in play right now, I want you to expand on that for the purpose of a conversation. I'm not trying to argue with you. No, no, I, I, I expanded on it. I said it was the del deliberate destruction of the, of the smaller middle, the middle class people and smaller medium sized businesses. Right. So what? So so pretend I never read the I, I never read the Great Reset. I've seen a lot of articles on it. I've I've seen a lot of interviews on it. I never read the book. So assuming that I'm very ignorant about what the Great Reset entails, why would destroying the middle and lower class? Um, why, what's the motive to do that? Explain the great reset and, and why, why, what do governments have to gain by implementing such a project? Um, okay. So it's not necessarily, uh, the governments that have to gain. It's, uh, the people that, um, actually have influence over the governments. Uh, I, I believe that the, uh, great reset has been, uh, bought in, uh, and I think, it is a way of controlling the population uh, in terms of 24-7 surveillance. Um, I believe that they want to do central bank digital currencies and get rid of cash, uh, which would then enable any government anywhere in the world to control their people, uh, would stifle dissent, um, because any kind of dissent towards the government, you can have your money turned off at the flick of a switch. And that, I think, is um, the, end, the end game of it all, quite frankly. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. And so why would governments then go along? Like, I mean, so the, the, the corporatization of governments is something that's been around for a long time. And money controls government, and it's sort of a form of fascism. Noam Chomsky says that fascism in Western countries will result when the government behaves more like a corporation and is being controlled as if uh, by corporations. But when we talk about what the decimation of the middle class and lower class would do, the biggest damage would be on the governments themselves, no? Because where where do they get most of their taxes from? They get most of their revenue from the middle and lower class. They don't get it from the upper class or the, the, the mega upper class because they find tax loopholes to get out of it. Middle class is what props up a government. It's what allows a government to ha- have their existing revenues and to exist. So again, I didn't read The Great Reset, but why would removing the government's biggest source of revenue be something that the governments around West, at least around the Western world, why would they do that? Um, well, I think the question you probably should ask yourself is why would they shut down the entire economy um, so that people weren't paying taxes? Why would they do that for a virus that has the, uh, the same IFR as the, uh, as the seasonal flu? So if they're prepared to do it for that, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they do that? I think it's because we're leaderless. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know about where what, what's what it's like in Europe, but here in North America, we have Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden. We just escaped four years of a rodeo clown in the United States, um, and and we are leaderless. So well, when the world the rodeo, when the, sorry, rodeo clown, I didn't get that. Donald Trump. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why well, do you? Do you have an uh, like an, an affection for Donald Trump? No, I just okay. I, I don't have, I don't have an, an affection for for any politicians, but I have an affection for my perception of the world uh, right. and my perception of the world that is that during Donald Trump's uh, time in charge, uh, the world seemed a lot more stable than it did when Joe Biden has been in charge. That's been my uh, that's been that's been my viewing of it from from a remote distance. Right. Did you have the TV on mute whenever you saw him speak? Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I watched. I watched a lot of his uh, stuff on television, and I actually found it quite entertaining. Uh, but aside from that, um, I think aside from the way that he comes across on television, uh, I, I, I put that to one side and I looked at what what was happening in the world at the time. And there, uh, the world seemed to be a, a lot more stable place in terms of. Uh, I don't think there was any new wars that were had under under his um, leadership. Is that is that right? Um, I mean, the drone program was still going on, but no one ever seems to count that. Um, you know, uh, there were uh, what happened in I Syria. Think, you know, there, there was a I couple mean, things I, happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, from my perspective over here, it looked like the world was a, a lot more stable than what it is. In today's world, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm a big Donald Trump fan. I'm not saying he was perfect. I don't know. I don't live in that area of the world. I don't see it every day. But I looked at what was happening in the world, um, and I don't know. It, it seemed it seemed a far more stable place to be than where we are at the moment. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's sort of like being in the right place at the right time. I think uh, you know, not, like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying I'm That's a fan good. of him. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I don't, I don't go down that route. Um, but and and I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be um, shot down with my opinion uh, because I don't, I don't know everything. Uh, all I give is my perception of what happens around me. Right. Um, other than the fact that he threatened uh, nuclear armed North Korea to uh, burning it. To the ground or something um he was uh he was a real peach um but listen that, that's not really important it's not honestly i don't really care I, like it's, it's just donald trump i honestly i don't care he's probably gonna go to jail anyway so who cares um but where we are right now okay 
how like again there's a there's a few things again i think that we agree on um one of them is that if you look at hindsight and you look at different countries and how they handled the pandemic and their reaction to the pandemic um population density aside because i know that that does play a little bit of a role in in how it spread and everything it does seem to align with the idea that that this is going to be with us for a while and it's going to be sort of like a second seasonal flu. Is it possible that the government's fucked up because they listened to the World Health Organization and it wasn't just a big plan that they put in place? Well, over here, I don't know about every other country, but over here we had a pandemic preparedness plan. I don't know if you know about this, uh, but this country already had a plan in place in case there was a pandemic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they got that one, from the World Health not, Organization. Not one of those things. Uh, not, not one of those things involved masks, social distancing, oh, and locking okay. down the country and destroying the economy. Not one of them. And they threw out that entire plan and went with what the World Health Organization said was. And that's another interesting thing uh, with the World Health Organization. It's difficult to tell people. Uh, I think. Because if you just tell people, they, they can just easily dismiss you. So what I'd say to people is go and have a look at how the leader of the World Health Organization was put into place, Dr. Tedros. Go and have a look at his history uh, and, and go and have a look if you think he's really the type of bloke who should be leading a World Health Organization. Yeah, he's a criminal. Like he was a fraudster, I believe, wasn't he? Uh, well, you... I, I'm not going to say that. I, I went and had a look at, at how he got elected. I went and had a look at what his past was. And he didn't strike me as a sort of bloke that should be the leader of a World Health Organization. I mean, he's the first person who's not a doctor to actually be an actual doctor to, to actually be the leader of the World Health Organization. So uh, it, it, was all a bit, it was all a bit fishy. Um, and if you go and have it, you'll probably... You probably wouldn't have that the WHO said seriously, quite frankly. I was never a big WHO fan. I, I, I thought that at the beginning they politicized it. I thought they, uh, they were too soft in regards to how they approached um, China and how, they, uh, how China wouldn't let in uh, scientists to sort of ascertain for themselves um, how the virus came to be. I know that the BBC reported something um, last year about how in the summer of 2019 in um, in the Wuhan province, there were thousands of people searching for coronavirus symptoms. And that would be like six months before the virus actually came out. So and these whenever I see stories like that and I try to verify them as best I can, it leaves me with muddy waters uh, and it leaves me not feeling secure enough to take a position in one way or another because i'm just so confused i'm not a medical professional i'm not a political scientist Normal. right Normal. And, and so i think it's important to remember i don't know what it's like right now in the uk but over here in north america we are severely and like inescapably polarized so if some person is um hey i think the vaccines are a good idea um the the counter to that is vaccines are a worldwide plot and the people that reside in the middle the i don't know crowd i think is shrinking and i don't think that's a good thing no what are your thoughts on that? i don't i don't think i agree with you wholeheartedly i think there is um very much uh a, a play that is uh, a divide and conquer type scenario um and i think it's quite deliberate because i think all the time that we're arguing amongst ourselves uh, we never get together to look at where the real problem is. Yeah. Um, and it's like that for everything. Like, like no matter what, the, you name an issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's done by design. Um, yeah, no, listen. We, uh, had, we had a committee. We had a committee here in the UK, uh, the SAGE. They called them themselves SAGE. Are you fucking uh, kidding? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Are they advisors? Because that would scientific be the most narcissistic advisory, kind of way. Yeah, the, the scientific advisory, whatever. But this this um, scientific advisory body that was set up very early on in the in the pandemic, um, the the majority of people on it were from the behavioural insights team, and they weren't virologists, immunologists. They were the the, the behavioural insights team who were 
coming up with ways to nudge the public into compliance. Um, so there were and, sociologists running a medical absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and that and that was one of the one of the reasons why when we spoke earlier about the um, uh, the, the lady at Pfizer who uh, who admitted that they didn't test for um, trans whether it, it stopped transmission or not. So one of the big big um, advertising campaigns over here when the when the vaccines came out was that you need to get these uh, vaccines done to protect yourself and to protect others so you don't go killing your granny. That's what we were told in this yeah. country. And it was a huge advertising campaign, a real psychological twist on it all. Uh, and it was, it, I, I just, I spotted it very early on uh, and I'm pleased I didn't fall for it. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I have the same complaint I, I, or had the same complaint in 2020 and 2021, especially where it felt like the government, uh, the messaging was never about to inform us, but to mobilize us. And they, and, and I felt like they did skip. Um, and I actually had, I uh, can't remember who it is at this point in time, but I did talk to a politician and, and I also talked to um, a person that was in charge of the pandemic planning before COVID about what mandates were like for teams that were set up to try to inform the public. And he just basically said to me, he's like, well, we, we make the decision as to what we want the public to do for the greater good. And we just, we push that instead of pushing um, what, you know, what would better inform them. And I was like, well, how do you expect anyone to trust you? Like when, you know, there was all these conflicting messages when it came out, like I have, if someone put a gun to my head and they said, okay, so what do you think happened? I would say the following. I would say our leaderless governments took their cues from a World Health Organization that had been largely politicized. I would say that the virus itself was real and I don't know where it came from. And that big pharma most certainly um, misled about their efficacy rate to boost, um, to boost shares, uh, share price. And, and that's really what I would say. Now, do I think that the Great Reset is at play because of all those things? Probably not. I don't know. But, like, I don't think so. You know, like, it's hard for me to, to get to that place because I've lived through yeah. I've lived through different incarnations about the world, new, the new world order. And I, I you know, I, I kind of got sucked in a little bit after 9-11. I was in my early 20s. And I, it was like it was framed as this event is going to make everyone in the world trade liberty for security. And it's going to create a new world government. And we're all going to have the same currency. And we're all going to get microchipped. And of course, none of that happened. And then when the financial crisis happened, the exact same thing was brought out. And now this pandemic happens and the exact same thing is brought out. It's just a different version of it, but it's really the same thing. So in 10 years, if we're not all, you know, uh, if we're not all doing what uh, Klaus Schwab, is it whatever, however you say that guy's name, um, he should be dead in 10 years anyways. I mean, I don't know, like he, he looks pretty ragged, but um. You know, like if it does, if it doesn't happen in ten years, some other crisis is going to happen, and they're going to bring it up again. So I, I, I would maybe just sort of caution anyone to not put too much stock in the idea that we're already down the rabbit hole when this rabbit hole has been traversed over and over and over again. No, that's a fair point. Um, and that's a that's a point I accept. It's not one that I kind of I haven't really, uh, as I said, I wasn't politically uh, politically minded at all. I haven't really kind of known about any new world order. Um, Dude, you were scoring first-time goals with, like, the best footballers in the world. So what was <laughs> at the time, I think? Although I did hear Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden mention those exact three words uh, in a speech uh, just a few months back, which was interesting. Which uh, switch the new world order? Yeah. Yeah, George Bush Sr. did it as well. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I mean, so I, I don't know, you know, if it, if it can be called a conspiracy theory, if these presidents are, uh, are just throwing these uh, words into a speech. Now, I, I'm sure it wasn't just a coincidence. Um, uh, it just seems a little bit odd that those were the exact words that they chose. In fact, I think the Premier in Australia also used the same words. And it was kind of like all those Western leaders, um, you know, when they started all at the same time, started using the build back better uh, motto. I don't know if you remember that one. Well, our our, uh, our our prime minister went to that well as well. 
Yeah. Well, I think your prime minister is, is one of those uh, young global leaders from the World Economic Forum. So he would be uh, right on board with all that kind of stuff. And, and we've had the, we have the same thing here, you know, and it, it seems it wasn't any coincidence that all these leaders from around the world in different countries all used the same three word phrase and all in the space of a few days. And it was like, hang on a minute. Where's that? Where's that come from? Like, what? It was just so coordinated. It was, it was just ridiculous. I feel like like if they're sitting at a table at the G20 or the G7 or whatever and and talking about how how to like like I feel I feel like maybe it could have been in an attempt at like unity where they were all like you know listen why don't we all kind of bridge the same message so that the world knows that we're all on the same page and we're in this together but it gets translated because uh, I don't actually agree that they should do that. I think every country should be sovereign. We should have our own messaging and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but agree. it is, yeah. But it is possible that they just thought it was a good idea and it was just a really shitty idea. Maybe they thought it would project unity, but it really projected conspiracy or whatever you want to call it, right? Like, yeah. There's uh, th- that's the thing about most of the most of the stuff that goes on, and, it, and it's very clever. It's very clever the way they do it um, because there, there is always plausible deniability, and that's what makes it clever. Yeah, that's uh, the CIA taught them that. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we're gonna go soon, but I just uh, let, let's get off that now. I find you to be, uh, you know, an interesting guy. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you came today. I want to know what it's like to now have King Charles, though, because I'm a little bit pissed off as a Commonwealth country that that fucker is gonna be on our money. I don't recognize him as my uh, as my king. Quite frankly, I'm not. Well, let's talk about that for a little bit, can we? <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm not a royalist, really. Um, no. uh, I have no real interest in the royal family, um, quite frankly. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I, I think it's a bit outdated, uh, to be honest. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't think that um, anybody who was, uh, you know, had as one of his best friends, um, had one of the probably the most prolific paedophile in our country uh, as a close advisor, uh, doesn't really do it for me. What was that guy's name again? Jimmy Savile. Okay. A guy, that, wanted... a guy that the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation uh, in our country, uh, had under their wing, working for them for many years, and they and they knew what he was doing, and they covered it up. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of, <laughs> kind of curious, because I watched the documentary on him, and um, everyone was surprised that, uh, like, in a way that he was, like, a pedophile. And then I saw what he looked like, and I was like, how the fuck was anyone surprised? <laughs> That's <laughs> like, a very good point. It's you know, a very good point. I mean, geez. You're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but Jesus Christ, look at this man. Like, yeah. And this is the man that was uh, w- was let off because uh, there were accusations when he was alive. This guy only got, got really uh, found out after he died. Um, but he, while he was alive, he was charged. And, uh, and some uh, of the kids were crippled and stuff, too, and right? Like, he was, sorry, he was yeah. allowed, he, he, got, he got off of the charges because the director of public prosecutions at that time thought that there wasn't enough evidence to charge him. Now, the interesting thing about that is the director of public prosecutions at the time is now the leader of the opposition party in our country. Who's that? Sir Keir Starmer, another knight of the realm. Is that the leader of the Labour Party? Yes. Wow. Do you guys miss the days of uh, of what's his <laughs> the communist there whatever his name was like I sorry I don't know I, I can't remember the names of the British politicians the guy that everyone said was anti-Israel that man uh, as soon as uh, I say that you say, he's the former leader the one that just left before this person oh of our country of, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. country or the Labour oh, Labour Jeremy Corbyn yeah Jeremy Corbyn oh, so okay. I had in 2018 I had scheduled an interview with him because <laughs> I was in the UK on business. And uh, I was working for Huffington Post and we met, like I talked to his assistant. We were supposed to meet at a cafe. We met at the cafe and I thought I was giving him a softball question because he was going through a lot of like accusations of anti-Semitism at the time. So I'm just like, um, first, I just want to let you know, does it get really, uh, you know, does it, does it start to really bother you when, when people hurl accusations of anti-Semitism against you? And he looks at me and he's like, all right. And he just left. <laughs> he just didn't answer me at all. He just got up and left. So obviously I pissed him off too. I don't really, uh, 
yeah, I, I thought it was a softball question. All he had to say was, yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm not anti-Semitical. I just think Israel should respect the Palestinian rights. It's so easy to answer that question, but instead he just left. But I heard he might come back. I heard uh, I heard there might be a leadership crisis in the Labour Party and that uh, that they might... Uh, someone has to bring him back into the party because he was just proven to be right about something. I don't know. I got I to gotta say, your politics are hard to follow. And it's not just because I... It's just not... It's not just because I need subtitles in the question period. It's it's because you know. <laughs> if you ever watched any of the, if you watch the prime minister's question times, it is just, it is the most ridiculous charade I've ever seen. These people are behaving like four-year-old schoolchildren yeah. in yeah. what is meant to be, uh, you know, the 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 place where our democracy is uh, is really sorted out. And that, honestly, they go in there and they cheer and, and boo like four-year-old school kids and i find it completely embarrassing that our political system is still like that so I, I completely understand why you find it hard to keep up with i mean we've got cabinet ministers resigning left right and center at the moment it's in it's in a shambles again we've only had a new prime minister just a few weeks ago and already everyone in the media and every politician is calling for her to, to resign so we're going to get a new we'll probably get a new prime minister um in a few weeks time so uh, it's an absolute shambles over here quite frankly listen it's not that it's not great here either the question period is stupid here it's it's less booing and it's more grandstanding and yeah. it's just you know it's just mr speaker the prime minister blah, blah, blah. and then it doesn't they don't say anything and when the prime minister answers like mr speaker i think blah, blah, blah. like and it's nothing but what no. i like about your question period is the speaker of the house going order Order! <laughs> like that is my favorite thing to hear. Like, I, oh, I yeah. feel like... He, he gets order for about three seconds, and as soon as the prime minister gets up to speak again, everyone starts going boo, boo. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> right. kids, a lot of them. Um, before we go, can I just ask, like, like I'm glad that we had this conversation, even if uh, yeah, it started off a little rough. Um, no, I, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm always, I, I don't mind talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. uh, but the, the the one the one thing that does annoy me after all this time is, is people start using the word conspiracy. Um, because I thought so you would be cool with it because I was describing um, the people that aren't you, the people that you are against, of them conspiring together to make COVID something that transformed politics in the Western world. That, that, that's all I was trying to say. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I understand that. I understand that. No um, problem at all. Well, good. I'm I'm glad you came. I, I, well, I that my last question actually was going to ask: Have you? I know that you lost a job. Um, it's it's interesting. Was it Glenn Seville that took a job with Qatar that puts you on the progressive side because you criticized him, right? Uh, Gary Neville. Gary Neville. Sorry, I was. Thinking, yeah. I don't know what yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary is. Uh, Gary is very much a uh, a, a socialist um, and very much a a Labour Party person. And um, uh, David Beckham was- too. He came in for a lot of stick uh, for for taking the, uh, the the Qatari money and uh, going and, and work out there for I think it was being sports. And David Beckham as well. David Beckham as well. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I think David's uh, reputation has been very carefully managed over the last twenty five thirty years, and and it's been brilliant. It really has been brilliant. Um, but I, I think this was probably about the the first maybe second misstep that he's that he's made i had peter tatchell on the show last week um i'm not sure if you know who he is but um he british gay rights activist um and he was he was pretty critical of of david beckham taking that money because i think qatar still executes gay people if i'm not mistaken uh uh, yeah i'm not i'm not sure i know they have done in the past i'm not sure if that's still the case so i won't comment on that okay well listen Matt Letizia, it was really nice having you. I hope you come back. I, I feel like uh, the next time you get in trouble with the press, we'll have you back on again, okay? <laughs> Thanks very much. I enjoyed the chat, and, uh, and good luck to you. I hope it all goes well. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You have Thank a good you. day. Well, that was fun. Matt Letizia, listen, um, I know I'm going to get emails and messages because of, of having uh, this conversation on the show. Uh, I want to just make it clear that I honestly don't give a fuck if you don't like that I just had this conversation on this show because they're important to have. One of the things that I think we did incorrectly when the pandemic started is that um, our polarized sides went into their corners and just started throwing daggers at each other. And we didn't, even if we vehemently disagreed with the other person, 
Um, that is no reason why we shouldn't have had a conversation. We shouldn't bully anti-vaxxers and we shouldn't try to ridicule people who are pro-vaccine or pro-mask. We should find a way to dialogue and we should find a way out of this web of division and tribalism. It's just, it's awful. So I would have him, I would have uh, Matt Letizia on again. I, I would have, honestly, I would talk, I'll talk to anyone. I don't really recognize the word platforming. I think that platforming was once just called interviewing. And so, uh, you know, I, I would have anyone on the show. I would talk to Alex Jones. I would talk to serial killers. I would talk to anyone. And the reason why is because we're human beings and we're trying to gain information. And oftentimes we're trying to get information about a people or an organization without talking to those people or that organization. And we get all of our information from critics. And I think that has to change. So I thank again, Matt Letissier uh, for coming on the show. Uh, I would also like to say that uh, tonight we have a show at 7 p.m. And David Wallace, political fixer, soon to be a podcaster here on the Dean Blundell Network with a podcast called The Fix is going to be on the show. And we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. And then tomorrow, I'm really excited about this. I'm, I, I can't tell you, this is like the most excited I've been to talk to a politician, even though she's an ex-politician ever. And I've interviewed Bill Clinton. I Sorry, I asked him one question in a scrum. And I've interviewed Justin Trudeau. Uh, and Sherry DeNovo, by far, is going to be a much better interview than either of those gentlemen were. And I can't wait. So that is Thursday at 7. But don't forget, tonight we have David Wallace. And listen, um, if you do a deep dive today, do a deep dive on the uh, on the Doug Ford role in the Emergencies Act thing, because I think um, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. I think we might be breaking some news tonight, and I'll have more of that, obviously, at 7 p.m. So until then, we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Thanks, everybody. Black Ball. Black, black, black ball. Black Ball. Black Ball. Black, 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 everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests blue hotel hotline and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel begins Friday, September 23rd. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.